Let's pray. God, this is holy ground. It's not holy because of the building or what we call it or because of this land or because of us. Most certainly not because of us. God, it's holy ground because of you. Because of who you are. Because you are here. Because you have blessed us with the presence of your Holy Spirit. This is holy ground. So God, we just ask as we take this time now and look at your word and look at our lives, look at ourselves, God, that, um, that we would realize when you say that we are to be holy because you are holy, you really mean that. And so God, we take this time and we, we give it to you, pray that your word would speak to us, God, that you would, uh, through your Holy Spirit, you would open our ears and our minds and our hearts to whatever it is that you might have for us today, in Jesus' name, amen. Maybe seated. So we spent a few weeks looking at uh, some of the things that were going on in our world. Some of the things some of us weren't so happy about. Some of the things that, yeah, some of us agreed were wrong, and I found out others didn't have a problem with at all. And and I didn't expect everybody to agree with me. That wasn't the point. Uh, part of what makes America great and makes America what it is, for better or for worse, is that we don't all agree. And I'm okay with that. What, what I didn't want to do was tell you what to think. What I wanted to do was challenge you about why you believe what you believe. What, why do you think what you think? What, what, what is it that causes you to believe what you believe? Is it because of the news organization you choose to listen to? Is it uh, because of the friend circle that all thinks like you do? Or is it because of God's Word? Is it that you believe what you believe because of God's Word? And, and it was interesting to me, Towards the end of that, I made the statement a couple of different times that really what we do around here that is so foundationally important is that we teach God's Word and we exist as a church community to help prepare you to meet Jesus face to face. And and for some of you, that was the statement that hit you in a way that uh, you'd never thought about it before. And and I heard back from you about that. that I I guess I just never thought that one day I'm actually going to meet Jesus face to face. You are. It it doesn't matter whether you believe in God or not. It doesn't matter whether you believe that God is real. It doesn't matter whether you believe that Jesus is his son. The fact of the matter is that the God of the universe who reveals himself to us in his word and through Jesus, the God of the universe one day will stand in judgment of every person who's ever lived. And that day we will meet Jesus face to face, whether you choose to believe in him on this earth or not. (coughs) And what I asked you was, (coughs) if that day was today, are you ready? Are you ready to meet Jesus face to face? (coughs) I was surprised and I was saddened to hear from so many of you who said, I don't think that I am. I, I don't think that I'm ready. I believe in Jesus, but I don't think that I'm ready to meet him. I don't know if I'm living my life the way I'm supposed to. I'm still not a good person. I've still got a long way to go. And it it ended up being some very interesting conversations. And my thought was that we would be going back to the book of Acts at this point this summer. But we're going to do something a little bit different. We're, We're going to go back to some of the foundation pieces of what it is to be a Christian. If our job here is to help you be prepared to meet Jesus, and you don't know that you're ready for that day, we need to spend some time talking about it. The fact is, that day is coming. Some people say sooner, some people say later. It really doesn't matter when if you're not prepared. So we're going to go back and look at some of the basics of the faith. Faith, what does the Bible say about who God is, who Jesus is, and who we are? What is it to become a Christian? What is it to live as a Christian? What does it mean to be a person of faith? Just some of the basic foundations of our faith. 
So maybe the most important question as I thought about it is this, because an awful lot of us don't think that we need Jesus. Jesus is a nice add-on. He's something they talk about in church. He was a good guy 2,000 years ago. He was a great teacher, whatever it might be that you believe. The Bible says that we need Jesus. Why, then, does the Bible say that we need Jesus? You may be a good person. You may be better than the people who are around you, maybe better than your neighbors. Being a good person isn't good enough. Being a good person does not get us into heaven. Jesus alone is the one who welcomes us into heaven, and it's our relationship with him. For a couple of years now, we've been giving out these Bibles. Uh, the first few batches that we got were brown. Some of you have those, light tan-colored uh, cover. The, the latest batch is blue. I'm actually going to be teaching out of this one for a couple of reasons. It's called the New Living Translation, New Believers Bible. Uh, I usually teach out of the ESV English Standard Version. It's a great one to teach out of because they're very concerned about word-for-word exact translation. The New Living Translation is more concerned about being easy to read. But there's a section in the beginning of this that does a great introduction to what it is to be a Christian. How can you become a Christian? How can you talk to others about Jesus? Why is it important? And then a whole bunch of different parts of the basics of the faith. If you don't have a Bible, please go get one of those. We've got them in the back. We'd love to give you one. If we run out today, we've got more on order. Uh, If you've got a Bible but you don't read it because it's confusing, please get one of these. And my suggestion, people say, where do I start? With this Bible, I say start in the very beginning. Before you even get to the text of the Bible, start in the beginning. If you don't have one, we would love to give you one of those. So we talked about the question is what in the world is going on with our world? And, and it was fun and it was interesting and it was challenging. And my weeks from Sunday to Sunday were very interesting, to say the least. But the one thing we talked about that we need to talk more about is the reason that we need Jesus. What is going on with our world? Sin. Sin is going on in the world. Human sin. Sin has been the problem since the moment, not that Adam and Eve were created. Because you go back in the beginning, God created all of the universe, everything that's out there, and God said it was good. Then God created Adam and Eve, and God said, now it's very good. And so at that point, before anything else had ever been done, human beings were created, and God deemed us to be very good. There was no sin in the world. In fact, God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the most perfect place it's ever been. And what God did, because he loved them so much, he puts them in this place that's all perfection and had to have been just astonishingly beautiful. And God says, you can have the whole garden. The whole garden is yours. Everything that's in it. The one command, and this is the only command. It's the only rule that God laid down at this point. Don't eat from that tree. Don't eat from that one tree there in the middle of the garden. Just leave that one alone. Just ignore it. Don't eat from that tree, God says. It's so simple. And yet as soon as God stepped away and allowed them to start thinking for themselves, the serpent appears and he gets, comes to Eve and says, did God really say? And doubt began to enter the picture. And rather than trust in the word of God and repeat exactly what God had said to her, Eve reminded the serpent of what God said, and then she added a little bit more to it. And before you knew it, she had talked her husband into it, and they had both eaten the fruit from the tree that God had forbidden them to eat from. And in that act, that that simple act of disobedience introduced sin into human history. That single act was rebellion against God's word. It was as simple as the enemy giving them another option. And Eve decided along with Adam that they liked that other option no matter how much God had told them not to do it. 
And what began is that ever-present battle between selfish human desire and God's perfect will for us. It started with a piece of fruit. And no, the Bible didn't say that it was an apple. It started with a piece of fruit. But that piece of fruit represented so much more. It represented human beings' inclination to willful disobedience. So maybe you think, well, I got free will. God lets me make my own choices. I get to do what I want, and that's great. And I'm a spiritual person. You know, I, I care about spiritual things. And oftentimes spiritual people talk about mistakes and that mistakes make you better. But in fact, in the Bible, God is very, very clear. It's sin alone that has brought our nation and our world and you and I to the point that we are. It is sin. That, that willful rebellion against God. And in the Bible, Hebrews 6.23, God says this, <coughs> For the wages or the price of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Anytime a message talks about sin, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to think about ourselves as sinners. We want to think about other people as sinners. We want to point our finger at them and they say, they're so much worse than I am. But see, the other side of talking about sin is the second half of this verse. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Acknowledging our sin is the first step. But so often we're not willing to do that. If you hold the Bible as God's truth, then you know that every single human being who has ever been born, has ever lived since Adam and Eve, has fallen to sin. And the thing that we don't like to acknowledge is, yes, that includes you and I. We have fallen in line with Adam and Eve, and we have chosen to sin. We launch our own personal rebellion against God's will for us. And the very, very Bible that says there's a price to pay for our sin says that, says that that price is the penalty of death. And because of that scripture, because of that truth, because of that price, we need to ask the question, then what hope is there? What, what can I do? That's when Jesus enters the picture. That's when we've got to be willing to talk about Jesus and why we need him. We just shared in communion together. When, when Jesus gave his disciples the command to share in communion after he was gone, he did not say, do this to remember the forgiveness of your sins. He said, do this to remember the Lord's death until I come again. We're supposed to remember that the price of sin is death, and Jesus paid that price for us. So why Jesus? Why, why should we be concerned about Worry about, think about Jesus. I'm a good person. I don't have to worry about all that. That's kind of what we hear out there. Because Jesus alone is God's response to our sin. Jesus, in a personal relationship with him, inspired and strengthened by the Holy Spirit, is the only hope that we have in this life. He's the only hope that we have. That is God's plan. That is, that is God's design for us, is Jesus. And so without Jesus and without turning our hearts fully back to him, we don't stand any hope in this life, and we'll continue to look for things that fulfill us and make us feel better outside of Jesus. You go back to Adam and Eve, and you know what was the thing that got them was the curiosity. Serpent says, did he really tell you not to eat that fruit? And he goes on and says, you'll know the knowledge of good and evil. God made it very clear what Adam and Eve were supposed to do and were supposed not to do. They just wanted a little bit more. They wanted to learn a little bit more, and they wanted to know a little bit more. They thought it would make them a little bit more like God. So I spent some time trying to understand, how, how can we get this point across? How can we talk to people who have walked with Jesus for years, and some people who aren't even sure they believe what we're talking about? How, how can we get all of us on the same page? And it strikes me that there's this passage 
from Jesus himself that may be the best way to get a grip on who we are and who God is for us. If you've got your Bibles, it's in Luke chapter 15. You can start opening up to that. So let's take a look at our lives through Jesus' own words when he talks about the prodigal son. Luke 15, you go back a couple of chapters, Jesus starts out talking about humility as he's teaching. What is it to be a humble person in his eyes? <coughs> what does humility look like? Then he talks about the cost of being a disciple, because being a follower of Jesus isn't going to be easy. It's going to be a challenge and a tough one. And then he starts talking about the lost sheep and then the lost coin. And it's about how, how the people who are represented in these parables are concerned about the one that gets away. And he's very definitely talking about God and us. And then he takes it to the next level. He elevates it all the way up and he talks about the prodigal son. And so often I think that when we hear about the prodigal son, we think about other people. Maybe you think about your near miss. Maybe you think about how your life could have gone or someone else who's so well described in that passage. I want to challenge you to something today. If we're going to get back to the basics, let's realize there was a reason that Jesus shared this parable. And a parable isn't something that happened historically. A parable is a true story for all people. And so it isn't you can say, well, I'd like to know who this guy was and where he grew up. That part doesn't matter. He's a fictitious character, but he's true of every one of us. And so you and I, if, if, if we can't hear this passage as it relates to us, we're completely missing the point. So as we start looking at it today, don't think about, I wish someone else would hear it, or boy, this speaks to their life. Ask yourself, how does this fit into my life? See, you and I, we're the lost sons and daughters. We're the prodigal sons and daughters from God's perspective. Because we wander the earth in search of purpose and pleasure and meaning. And until we meet Jesus, we're never going to find our fill of any of them. We're always going to keep looking. But Jesus offers us purpose he offers us joy, and He gives meaning to our lives if only we will accept it from Him. So Luke 15, 11 to 32, maybe you can hear this in a little bit different way if you've heard this passage before. This is a parable. This is not the story of a real person. This is a story that Jesus taught that's true of all of us. To illustrate, uh, 15 and 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate before you die. So we've got two boys. Father has an estate. He's a wealthy man. Typically, the older son would be entitled to two-thirds of the father's property upon the father's passing. The younger son would be entitled to a third. The younger son has an incredible amount of nerve because he goes to the father and he says, I want my share of your estate now before you die. I want what is currently yours for me. I want your estate, what you've built, I want my share of it before you die. I want it right now. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. What you've got to understand is that probably required the father to sell off part of it. If he had to come up with a third of his wealth, if he had to come up with a third of that in cash, he probably had to liquidate some of his assets. But the son is really doing this. He's saying, Dad, I know that it's all yours. One day it's going to be mine, I'm assuming, Dad. And I want my portion of it right now. I don't want to have to wait until you die. I want it now. What he's really saying is, God, I demand, or, Dad, I demand my independence and freedom right now. I want the money to provide me the life that I want to go live, and I want to live it free from you. I know that it's all yours, but I want to take it and run. 
And so what does the father do? The father agrees to divide his wealth between his sons. No mention of the older son at this point. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and he moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money on wild living. Other translations say debaucherous living. The younger son, younger son packed up all of his belongings. Probably weren't his in the first place. They were probably actually his dad's. And he moved to a distant land and he wasted all of his money in wild living. What he did is he rejected everything that his father stood for. He rejected his sonship of his father. He rejected everything that his father had provided for them. And he went off to a land far away, a distant land, where there was no supervision, there was no one who knew him, there was no accountability, where he could do whatever he wanted with whomever he wanted, whenever he wanted. And he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. I, <laughs> I said this morning at first service, I don't know about you, but when my girls were younger, if it went too long between snacks and meals, they'd say, Mom, Dad, we're starving. No, you're not. You might be hungry, but you're not starving. I've said the same thing myself. I'm starving. No, I'm not. We don't know what starving is. Go on the Internet and Google kids in the poorest parts of the world who have literally nothing. There are children that eat mud cakes baked in the sun because at least it puts something in their stomach. Those kids are starving. We don't know what starving is. You, you want to know how you're doing in the world. We are among the wealthiest people. No matter how much you earn, no matter what you have, you're among the wealthiest people in the entire world. We don't understand what starving is. This kid took a huge inheritance. He took it from his dad. I'd, I'd go so far as to say the son stole it. Father willingly gave it to him, but he had no right to it at that point. Took all of his money and leaves, and suddenly he finds himself starving. The economy took a downturn, and he spent all of his money. <coughs> and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. It's interesting how often Jesus uses this example of the pigs. To the Jewish people, the pigs were a forbidden food, but it's interesting how, in light of Stephen's vision with the sheet, suddenly Jesus is introducing them to a whole different world. He's talking about pigs in a way where the pigs are almost the hero of the story at this point. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him in the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Clearly, whoever it was that he was working for said, I don't care how hungry you are, you don't eat the pig's food, that's for the pigs. you got to figure it out on your own. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, and this is the important part, when he finally came to his senses, he had that aha moment. He had everything, he gave it all up, and he says, aha. He says to himself, at home, he's talking about it at home, where I belong with my family. At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. Remember, this parable is about God's love for us, and we're not going to read the whole thing today. And it's about our recognizing, about our coming to our senses, about our sinfulness. At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. 
Please take me on as a hired servant. He didn't even ask to become a son again. He just says, give me a place to stay that I don't starve to death. But when he comes to his senses, the thing that's really significant, he decides to go back to his dad and not just say, I'm sorry. I have sinned against both heaven and you. I've sinned against God and against you. We hear so often in our world, the answer is within you. you got all the answer in your own mind already. The answer is in your heart. You're a good person. This parable tells us the answer is not within us. The answer is within Father, the Father. The answer is within God. The answer is God revealed to us in His Word. What is within us is the problem. What is within us is our sinful hearts and our sinful minds. And, and, and we face feel-good spiritualism and all these other things because they think that that's going to make us feel better. It's going gonna, it's gonna to somehow satisfy what is longing in us when what we were really created to do was to chase Jesus. This guy had his chance to go do everything. And so what's going on in our world? We've got a whole lot of people that are chasing the wrong thing. And the prodigal son realizes he's got to go home. So you and I, you and I are all prodigal sons and daughters from God's point of view. The reason that Jesus shared this parable is not because it was just for some people. It's for all people. But the good news is, are we sinners? Yep, we are. And one day we're going to be held to account for it. But Jesus loves you so much that he gave his life for you. The Holy Spirit is still at work, and God is still at work in our world and within you. God is a God of love, but God is also a God of righteous judgment. And the, the prodigal son realized that going back to his father. We feel really good about the love part. We feel really good about the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness part. But what we don't realize is that the other side of that coin is God's righteous judgment. We can't allow ourselves to ignore God's judgment of sin, your sin and my sin. And that's what Judgment Day is all about. So when I say our job here is to help prepare you to meet Jesus, that's what I'm talking about. I'm preparing you for that day because on that day, the only defense that you've got is not how much money you had, not how good a person you were, not how much you gave away, not kind of what life you lived. God's going to ask Jesus if he knew you. God's going to ask Jesus if you're someone who gave your life and lived for him. See, God is the loving father who's waiting for us to come home. But if you don't know what will happen to you when you die, if you are not fully prepared to meet Jesus right now, then don't wait another moment. Let today be your aha moment. You're, okay, I'm a sinner. I don't like that title. Well, neither do I. But it's true, and God doesn't leave us alone with our sin. God gave us Jesus that our sins could be forgiven. If you don't know what will happen when you die, if you're not fully prepared to meet Jesus face-to-face, please do something about it. Accept God's solution for your sin and all the problems of our world. And the solution is Jesus. Salvation in Jesus' name is a free gift from God, and you can have a certain guarantee of what will happen to you in eternity when you give your life to him. Say, Jesus, I accept that I'm a sinner. I don't want to live as a sinner anymore. I want to continue my rebellion. I want to give my life to you and I want to live for you. And when we do that and we start living for Jesus, you never have to wonder what's going to happen when you die. You never have to wonder what's going to happen when you meet him face to face. So when I say one of the most important things that we can do is to prepare you to meet Jesus face to face, I'm serious. I had a friend ask me a number of years ago 
You know, you're getting to the point where you should think about retiring. You've done this. You've done it over 20 years. Now you must be ready to move on. You ought to be looking for something different. Slow down a little bit. Why do you keep doing it? My answer surprised me. My answer was, well, I can't not. I can't not do it. How come? Why can't you not do it? Because we had talked about me not being the most comfortable up in front speaking and preaching and all that. And I said, because I absolutely believe after 25 years of ministry, I absolutely believe in the reality of heaven and hell. And I think there's a whole lot of people that are on the fast track to hell and they don't even realize it. One day you will meet Jesus face to face. And God isn't going to condemn you to hell. God doesn't condemn anybody to hell. God allows you to go to the place of your choosing, and we choose it during this life. Why do I keep going the way I do? Because I believe heaven and hell are real places. And because I believe that we have this life to come to the decision about where it is that we want to spend our eternity. If you don't know that you're going to spend your eternity in heaven with Jesus, please do something about it. I'm around. We've got other team members around. There's other people from the prayer ministry around. If it's a matter of asking questions or saying, Jesus, today is my day, I, I quit living for myself. We never know when that day will come. We never know when we'll meet him face to face. What I don't want you to have to do is worry about your future and not be able to answer that question with certainty. If you met Jesus today face to face, would you go to heaven? I want you to be able to say, yeah, I know that I will. I still make mistakes. I still sin. Still not the best person I know, but I know Jesus, and I'm doing my best to live for him. It's as simple as that. That's why we call it the free gift of salvation. We're going to continue prodigal son going forward, and we're going to take a look a little bit more about what it says about uh, Jesus, about God, about forgiveness, about restoration, about what love really looks like uh, in the weeks ahead. But before we do that, let's pray. God, thanks for Jesus and his incredible way of teaching, thank you for the way that he taught in parables, taught truths in parables. And God, messages on sin aren't any fun at all. They're no fun to deliver and they're no fun to listen to. But God, when we take sin seriously, there's hope. When we take our sin seriously and don't try to write it off or dismiss it, but realize that we are sinners, we are the prodigal sons and daughters. Jesus died for our sins. When we do that, God, the parable of the prodigal son and the death of Jesus take on a whole new level of meaning. It's easy to skip through life saying, I'll deal with it later. But we don't know how many more laters we have. So, God, my prayer is, my heart is, that everyone who hears, everyone who is listening, would know for certain that they're going to spend their eternity with you in heaven. That they would come to the end of the rope where they're done trying to live for themselves, where their rebellion against you is over, where their disobedience has come to its end. And God, where we're willing to give our hearts and our lives, our minds to you, to Jesus, and to start living for him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so in all fairness, sermons on sin are not any more fun to preach than they are to listen to. But here's the deal. God doesn't want us to live in our sin. That's the whole point of Jesus. Uh, what we're going to find out next week as we look further into the prodigal son, we're going to find out what God's response to us is when we acknowledge our sinfulness and come back to him. And that's, that's good news. That's fun stuff. And so part of what we need to do if we're going to understand Jesus for all of who he is and all of what he's done 
we have to start by accepting our sinfulness and our need for Jesus. And so that is the first step in the Christian life is beginning by realizing that we're sinners who need a Savior.